Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm producer Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Rob has written dozens of books with titles like The Red Sea Rules, Then Sings My Soul, and Reclaiming the Lost Art of Biblical Meditation. Recently, Rob began a video teaching series entitled The 50 Final Events in World History, The Book of Revelation Demystified. You can use this self-paced video study for individual or group use. It includes downloadable visual aids for personal reference or for Bible teachers who want to teach this material to others. Visit robertjmorgan.com courses and use the coupon code podcast at checkout for a special listener's discount. And now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. When I found out that I was on deck to preach the Sunday after the most divisive election in our memory, I prepared three sermons. One, if Trump won. Another one, if Biden won. A third one, if we didn't know who won. But I ended up throwing them all away, and I'm going to preach on the subject, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. And our scripture reading is from the book of Revelation, chapter 1. Just a, two or three little verses here that I want to explore, the book of Revelation and chapter number 1. So if you have your Bibles, turn there with me. It's still a good idea to bring your Bibles to church in chapter 1 and verse 5, 6, and 7 is our scripture today. It says, grace and peace to you. From Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of Him. So shall it be. Amen. Will you bow your heads with me in prayer? And now, Heavenly Father, we ask You to help us to turn our eyes upon Jesus, to look full in His wonderful face, and let me get out of the way. And may this short, wonderful passage unfold in our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I read last week about researchers who gave pages to two different groups. And on these pages, it was a maze, like you would do with a child trying to get from one side to the other. And it was a little mouse that was trying to get to the other side. And on half of the pages, the participants had an owl looming and ready to catch the little mouse if he failed. And the other pages didn't have any owl, but they had a piece of cheese at the end to entice him. And consistently, the participants that had the cheese 
did better and finished the maze quicker and more successfully. And the lesson they said was that we do better in life when we are moving forward with anticipation instead of looking around us in fear and trepidation. So the book of Revelation is God's great way of letting us look forward. This is a forward-thinking book. It tells us about the future, and I think about the not-too-distant future. And in the passage we've read today, the Lord Jesus Christ is explained or described to us in five different ways. And I just want to show you these. And the first one is he is called the faithful witness. So if you go back to verse 4, it says, John to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from, and it says, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness. Well, what is a faithful witness? It is someone who tells you something you don't know, and you need to know it, and they tell you the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth, and what they say is absolutely accurate. You can depend on it because they are a faithful witness. So Jesus here is the revealer, or I like to use the word the revelator. He's going to tell us things in the book of Revelation that we don't know, and what he says is true, and we can trust every word of it. So go back to chapter 1 and verse 1. It says the revelation. Now the word there means something that is about to be revealed. Jesus has already revealed so much in the Bible. I mean, he came in the Gospels and he revealed himself and he revealed his teachings and he revealed how we should live and he revealed the fact that we need to be born again and all of his teachings are revelations. And then he went back to heaven, but he sent the Holy Spirit to anoint the apostles and he revealed to us the contents of the book of Romans and of First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Titus. He gave us all of that revelation, and then he gave us Hebrews and James and John. I mean, he already had revealed so much. He gave us the book of Jude, which is book number 65 in the Bible. But there was still something missing. You don't end the Bible with the book of Jude. It's not the proper ending. And so now he is going to reveal to us his final word the book of Revelation, 22 chapters, the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God the Father gave him. So this is information that comes from the mind of God the Father. You remember when Jesus was on earth in his fleshly humanity, and apart from some of his divine prerogatives, he said, nobody knows the time of my coming, not the angels in heaven, not even the Son of Man, but the Father only. But Jesus went back to heaven. He assumed his throne. He embraced all of his heavenly prerogatives, and God the Father freely shared every detail and said, now here is what you need to know and what all of your followers on earth need to know. It's not going to be obscure. It's going to be a revelation, and God the Father gave it to God the Son, to show His servants, and here's the entire contents of Revelation, what must soon take place, what is ahead of us in human history. Now, none of us can tell the future. I mean, on January 1st 
of last year, of this earlier, of January, the last January 1st, none of us would have foreseen the kind of year that this has been. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen in 2021. But Jesus knows what's going to happen in 2021 and 2025 and 2030 and 2035 and 2040 and 2045 and 2050 and on until he comes again. I think he'll come before then. But he knows all of this. And God the Father gave him material and God the Son gave it to his angel. He made known to it by sending his angel to his servant John who testifies to everything he saw. And blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and who take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. So I want to submit to you that this final section of Scripture, the last dossier, the final book, the final 22 chapters, is the final installment of what Jesus wants to tell us in his word. And it's all about what's going to happen in the future. We don't need to worry about the future because it's in the Lord's hands here. He already knows what's going to happen and he is unfolding it. He is the revealer. Secondly, he is the resurrected one. Look again at verse number five. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the firstborn, the firstborn from the dead. What does that mean? Well, someone who is the firstborn comes out of the womb first. And this globe that we are in, this planet Earth, it's only a limitable cemetery. I mean, the entire planet is just a cemetery filled with the dead. We bury our dead in this planet. But Jesus is the first one to come out of the womb of the tomb. He came out first in resurrection power. Now, there were other people who were resuscitated or brought back to life in the Bible, but they died again. Jesus is the first one who was raised incorruptible, imperishable, eternalized, ageless, and ready for everlasting life. He is the pattern and the proof of our own resurrection when one day all of our cemeteries are going to be launching pads at the rapture. And up we go. He is the firstborn from the dead, the resurrected one. And you know, the evidence for the historical veracity of the resurrection is really very strong. That's something that I don't have any doubts about. And I've read a number of books by people who started out to write a book attacking the historical evidence for the resurrection, and they ended up being converted and writing books in favor of the resurrection. J.D. Anderson and Gilbert Morris and Frank Morrison and Josh McDowell and Lee Strobel, and I mean, there's a lot of them. But the resurrection of Christ firmly grounded in history is the great assurance that we have of what's going to happen to us when the Lord comes again. He is the resurrected one. And then look at this. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Grace and peace from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the revealer, the firstborn from the dead, the resurrected one, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. 
He's the ruler over all of the presidents, all of the parliaments, all of the prime ministers, all of the dictators. He is ruler over all. And I'll give you a very simple uh, example of this that comes right out of the context. John the, Bab uh, John the Apostle, the follower of Jesus, was writing this, I think, in the 90s of the first century. He was the last surviving apostle. All of the others had been killed. He was bishop in the city of Ephesus. He was over a cycle of churches. He was aged, probably 85, 90 years old, but in good health, I believe. And he was famous around the world because he was the last surviving apostle. I mean, imagine that. He was the last one out of the 12 that had walked with Jesus. And the emperor at that time was a young man named Domitian. Domitian wanted to get rid of John. He said, this man is spreading the contagion. Everybody loves him. He's more popular than I am. But he was afraid to kill him because it would bring about tremendous political repercussions to, fill this beloved, to kill this beloved man. So he said, I'll exile him to the island of Patmos. We'll just send him into retirement. The island of Patmos is very lovely. It wasn't a barren rock. It was a beautiful place, but it was separated from all of the rest of the empire by water. So, in effect, it would be shutting up John the Apostle. But it was on the island of Patmos that the Lord gave to John the contents of this book of Revelation. He had a series of visions, which gives us this information. Meanwhile, back in Rome, there was another man who had a dream, and it was Domitian, the emperor. He dreamed one night, very vividly, that his gods could no longer protect him and that he was going to be assassinated and that it would happen one day at the noontime. And from that moment, Domitian never rested easily. And he was nervous every morning until afternoon had come. And one day he said to his servant, what time is it? It was on September of the 18th, September the 18th of A.D. 96. And the servant said, it's already the afternoon. But it wasn't. It was the noontime. And an aide came in with a dagger hidden in his sleeve, and he stabbed Domitian. And Domitian fought back, and the two of them wrestled and fought. But Domitian was stabbed savagely seven times, and he bled out and died in the floor of his own office at noontime. Now, here you have two men, and one is 44 years old, and one is maybe 85 or 90 years old. One is the ruler of all of the world. The other is just a preacher in Ephesus. One has a dream that disturbs him. The other has a vision. And who today cares anything about Domitian? Who today cares anything about his personality or who names anybody Domitian? I mean, he has been relegated to the dustbin of history. His body was pulled out of its muddy mess in the floor and burned to ashes and his ashes sprinkled in the temple Flavian. But John the Baptist, he gave us material that we are still studying to this day. No emperor can thwart the message and the reign and the plan of Jesus Christ. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth.
And here's the fourth thing. He is the revealer and the resurrected one and the ruler of the kings of the earth, but he is also the redeemer. Look at the middle of verse 5. To him who loves us. This is the way he's described. I mean, look at this. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth, but he loves you. And love needs to be freely given and freely received. The Lord gives it to us freely. Jesus loves us freely. But we don't always freely receive it. We think, oh, what a mess I am. I don't think he can love me. I feel so embarrassed, so disappointed with myself. But you've got to freely receive the love that he freely gives because he loves you and has freed us from our sins by his blood. It's interesting to me that here in Revelation chapter 1, having just described Jesus in such august terms, suddenly the writer mentions his blood. Now, the blood of the emperor Domitian was a mess. It soiled up the floor. They had to mop it and wash it away. But the blood of Jesus Christ has a power about it that is cosmic and eternal, and it can wash away all of the sins and faults and failures that separate us from God so that because of the atonement of that blood, we have redemption and everlasting life. He has freed us from our sins by His blood, and He has made us to be a kingdom. When this happens to you suddenly, it's one thing to be the citizen of the United States or some other nation, but you are a member of the kingdom of God on this planet a kingdom that is already here and yet is still coming, a kingdom that is invisible now and one day will be political geographical in its nature, but he enrolls us instantly as citizens of his kingdom and he makes us to be priests, in other words, representatives to the world to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever, amen. Do you know him as the Redeemer? A couple of weeks ago, I was in Peoria, Illinois, and there was a camp there, and I spoke at it, and it's one of the nicest, best Christian camping facilities I've ever seen. And they've had children there for 65 years, but this year, because of the coronavirus, they couldn't have their regular camping program. And so the director said, well, there's more than one way to skin a cat, and he created all over the campus learning environments for students who had extinction learning, and uh, they had safe cubicles, and they could come and do online studies there, and he would tutor them, and others would tutor them, and it was all COVID compliant, and he had so many children who otherwise never would have come to camp, and he had a middle schooler. One day, they went for a little hike on the campgrounds, and they went down the hill to where there is a fire pit, where they have the bonfires, and there is a huge cross erected there. And a middle schooler, a little boy said, Mister, why, why is that big T in the ground? And the director said, well, it's not a T. That is the cross. And he proceeded to tell this little boy a story he had never heard before of the death and resurrection of Christ. And he said, he is one of several children who came to the Lord Jesus during this unusual summer of ministry. Well, there is the cross, and we come there, 
and we find redemption, and the Lord makes us into a kingdom and priests to serve him. So he is the revealer. He's the resurrected one. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. He is the redeemer, but also he is the returning one. Look at verse 7. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be, exclamation point, a man, period. That's the sentence. So shall it be. He is coming in the clouds. So shall it be. And you know, the rest of the book of Revelation tells us what's going to happen. The church imminently at any moment will be raptured, and then a series of events will take place we call the tribulation. And these are described in chapters 6 through 18 of Revelation, and the events that are described there are more plausible now than they've ever been in human history. Let me show you, for example, in chapter 6 something. In Revelation chapter 6, near the beginning of the tribulation period, John said in verse 8, I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. And they were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, pandemic, and by the wild beast of the earth. Somewhere near the beginning of the Great Tribulation, there's going to be a war combined with famine and a pandemic that will kill 25% of the people remaining on the earth as a judgment from God. Now, the pandemic that we're in now, you know, tragically, a million two hundred people around the world have lost their lives. But think of a quarter of the population of the earth, two billion people. This pandemic could have been much worse. We don't know the next pandemic, how viral it will be, how virulent it will be. It could have a much higher mortality rate. We are living at a time when we are almost helpless against the kind of increasing pandemics that are threatening our world. And the book of Revelation here warns against it. And then look at chapter 13. This is in the middle of the, revel, uh, uh, middle of the tribulation period, and it refers to the Antichrist. In verse number 16, Revelation 13, 16, it also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads so they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark. Now, this couldn't have been possible at other times in life. But now this is possible and plausible on a global scale given the right conditions. You know, when I was a boy, we'd go to Sears and Roebuck and buy a pair of jeans or buy a washing machine or something, and they weren't very invasive. They were glad to sell us the stuff, but they didn't pry into our personal lives. But now when you buy something, you go online and you make a purchase or you have a social media account or you have a phone, people are watching every keystroke goes into algorithms that's tremendously invasive. And some of these big tech companies know more about you then you know yourself. They can pick up clues. Now, here in America, I'm not too worried about it right now. They mainly are just doing it to sell us stuff. But think of that technology 
in the wrong hands, for example, in the last couple of years in communist China. The government has begun an extensive surveillance system of all of its citizens. They have facial recognition software everywhere. You can't go anywhere. They force their citizens to download apps on their phones that will give them all of your information. The Chinese government knows what its citizens are looking at and the music they're listening to. They can track where you go. They know everything about you. It is dystopian. It is Orwellian. And they, in some provinces, and it's spreading, give you a thousand points. And then they study all of this big tech material they're generating on you every minute. And if you live the way the communists want you to, and you listen to the right music, and you go to the right places, and you do the right things, they will give you points. But if you don't, they will take away your points. And if you don't have enough points on your score, you cannot get out loans. You cannot buy high-speed train passes. You cannot do... It's, it's this anti-Christian, this anti-Christ environment already starting right now in some of these dictatorial areas. We can see these things coming to pass, and it truly is frightening. Now, I think we'll be gone then. I'm just saying we are very, very close to these things becoming realities. And look at chapter, finally, speaking of China, look at chapter number 16 and verse number 12. It says, and this is near the end of the tribulation period, the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water dried up to prepare the way for the kings or for the armies coming from the east. So we're told that as the armies began to merge together for Armageddon around the newly established state of Israel, which, by the way, came into existence in 1948, that the Euphrates would dry up, which now is plausible. In fact, it's happened because Turkey has built dams on the Euphrates, and they can shut off the water. And it's said here that vast armies will come from Asia for the Battle of Armageddon. And President Xi of China, the most powerful Chinese ruler since Mao Zedong, who has just proclaimed himself president for life, a ruthless, evil man, has made a public proclamation, you can read about it, that within seven years, the Chinese military will be the greatest in the world, equaling or exceeding that of the United States of America. So I'm just saying that when you read the book of Revelation, the things that you read here are plausible, and it points towards, at least for me, the soon coming of Jesus Christ. He is the revealer. He's the resurrected one. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. He is the redeemer and he is the returning one. And in light of all of that, let me just give you three takeaways today for this Sunday. Number one, I think we should train ourselves to always be anticipating and expecting Jesus at any moment. I think that, you know, I've tried to do this. When I walk out on the patio and I look up at the sky and I just say, Maranatha, Lord, come. I've got people up there that I want to see again. I'm ready for Jesus to come. And we've got to learn to anticipate the coming of Christ. And secondly, in the meantime, we've got to share the gospel just as openly as we can. I'm trying to learn to just every conversation I have to probe a little bit to see 
if there is some verse or some way that I can get the gospel into that conversation, because our ability to spread the gospel will only last as long as we're here, and that time is shortening. And thirdly, we must speak truth to culture. I think the thing that I've learned more than anything else during this election cycle is that I've been too quiet on certain issues that I should have been more vocal about. I think the church overall has been too quiet on moral and spiritual and cultural issues that we've got to address, we've got to inculcate them into our young people, and we've got to stand up for certain things from a biblical perspective, even if they have political ramifications, because we are right, because we have a book that is true, and we need to speak truth to culture. Because the Lord is coming again. No president can stop him. No Congress can deter him. No parliament can push him aside. No dictator on this earth can hinder him. No empire can slow him down. He is coming. And anticipating it is just a marvelous thing. It keeps your spirits up. And for good reason, when you see all of these things happening, lift up your eyes, lift up your head. Your redemption is drawing near. And a couple of chapters later, at the beginning of the tribulation period, in chapter 5 of the book of Revelation, there is a convocation, there is an assembly in heaven, and John sees it, and they are celebrating. And he says, then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000, and they encircled the throne and the four living creatures and the 24 elders, and in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then he said, I saw the voices of every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the skies and in the seas and all that is in them, and they were saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be honor and majesty and power and glory and strength and dominion forever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him. So this is coming. And the song that should be on our minds today is not hail to the chief. It's all hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Oh, that with yonder sacred throng we at his feet may fall. We'll join the everlasting song and crown him and crown him and crown him Lord of all. Now, if you've never received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, maybe you're watching online right now, maybe you're here in this room, but who knows how much time you have left. I would like to close by leading you in a prayer. And if this is the day when you would like to give your life to this august, wonderful, loving Savior, 
then just pray this after me. Will you bow your heads, please? Heavenly Father, I recognize that Jesus is Lord of all. Forgive my sins. Change my life. I receive him by faith. Lord, may may I be included in his kingdom and help me to anticipate his return as his child. I give myself to Jesus today. In his name, amen.